Have you ever spoken to uh, your older children in code so that your younger children can't, can't know what you're saying? I mean, in our house, it's usually spelling that until they get old enough to know what that is. You, you say to the older one, um, don't, get the, don't get out the I-C-E-C-R-E-A-M, or you just wait until B-E-L-L-A goes to bed. And now that she's gotten older and smarter, she'll say, what about Bella? You, you communicate the information, but you present it in a way that the ones that you don't want to hear it can't understand it, and the ones who can do. They can spell, they can get it. You do that because you don't want to hear your younger ones uh, say, you know, I want ice cream, please, 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 and run around the house. Well... The Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 4, Jesus does something similar. But it's something much more significant than, than ice cream or bedtime. It's, he does this with the Gospel, the Gospel of the Kingdom. And it's a very perplexing passage, but if you see it in context, it, 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 it's not really at all. You'll, you'll understand it as we, as we walk through it this morning. Jesus starts the most significant teaching section in Mark, and he's teaching about the kingdom of God, and he shares it in parables. And he ends the teaching like he normally does, but here, I think it's the first time in Mark, where he says, he who has ears, let him hear. And then he takes the disciples aside, alone, and he explains that parable to the disciples and not the rest of the crowd. And from that point forward, the Bible says that he does not teach to the crowds unless he uses parables. Well, if you're not there, open to Mark chapter 4. Jesse read it for us this morning. This entire section begins in Mark chapter 4 verse 1 and runs through verse 20. We read the second half because we only made it through the first half the last time we, we looked at the, at the passage. And, and I, I've heard a number of preachers preach on this, and I would agree with them. You, you could preach more than, way more than two sermons on, on this parable. You could preach and preach and preach until we're, we're worn out with, with the parable. It's very familiar, isn't it? The parable of the soil. You may sometimes hear it called the parable of the sower. And I tried to help you see... Well, this is a better title last time because the sower is only mentioned in, in the opening. He just goes out to sow. And the rest of the parable, the rest of the story is about the, is about the soil and what happens when the sower casts the seed on the, on the soil. It's a very, very familiar parable. It's, it's, it's repeated in all three of the, of the major gospels. Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. And Jesus says it's, it's critical. That's why I think it's really good that, it's a, that it is a, a very familiar parable. Because Jesus says that if we mess this one up, if the disciples mess the meaning of this one up, then we're not going to understand any of his teaching, any of the rest of his parables. In fact, we won't understand the kingdom. And that's how significant this parable is. It is the, the, the parable of parables. It's the Mount Everest of parables. And Jesus tells this story. It's pretty straightforward. It's about a sower who goes out into the field to sow, and, and he has mixed results. 
It would have been very normal in Galilee. Everybody, the crowd, the disciples, everybody would have fully understood exactly what Jesus is, is, is saying here about this story. I mean, it's a, it's a farmer, it's a sower. I mean, they would have, they would have gotten that. What they didn't get, and what he had to explain to the disciples is the, is the spiritual meaning behind it. And when you look at the story, on one hand, this sower seems very unsuccessful. I mean, he sows in four different places. And the first three are unproductive. They don't produce anything. It's by the wayside or on the footpath. It's really hard. So it doesn't take any root. The the seed doesn't even germinate there. He then uh, sows in the the rocky soil, which had a thin layer of soil on the top. And there's there's this rock bottom that you can't see beneath the soil. So the seed germinates, but it puts roots down and it hits the rock and it doesn't go any farther. So it shoots up. And as it shoots up, you've got a big plant and small roots, and then the sun comes out, withers the plant because it doesn't have enough roots in order to, to, to be nourished, and so it withers and dies. And in the third, it's, it's mingled with thorns. And, and so it, it puts down roots, it puts up a plant, but it never bears any fruit. And what good is a grain stalk without any grain? And all three of those are the bad soils. I mean, so the sower kind of seems unsuccessful. Until you get to the end of the, under the story. The last one, success is beyond comprehension. The soil bears a, a, a yield far beyond normal. Some, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Those are astronomical results. And to the point, simple enough. It's, it's a story about different types of soils. Some are not productive. Some are very productive. Some Soils, the seed bears fruit, and some soils, the seed seed does not. That's easy to see. But, but what he's talking about from a spiritual standpoint is, is how the gospel spreads, how, how the kingdom grows. It doesn't matter when, in the time of Jesus, or today. It doesn't matter where, in, in, the, in the jungles of, of the Amazon, or right here in Lynchburg, Virginia. The parable was designed to help the disciples understand why there were not more disciples. Why the king and the kingdom was being rejected. Why there were such large crowds for the bread and for the healings and for the, the casting out of demons, but they didn't go beyond that. They, they didn't come into the inner circle. They didn't embrace the gospel. They didn't become followers of, of Christ. You could say very easily, that it was to help them understand evangelism, to help us to understand evangelism. The crowds were huge. Jesus was the greatest spectacle in Israel. Israel was looking for the Messiah. Here is Jesus doing the things of the Messiah after John the Baptist prepared. And so the disciples were wondering, what, what gives? There's 12 of us and, and, uh, and a few more. Why? Is the kingdom not being embraced? Why is the king not being embraced? Why, why isn't it flourishing? And Jesus explains the answer to them in three parables. The first one is this parable of the soil in verses 1 through 20. And then in verses 26 through 29, he has this, the growth of the seed, which is the kingdom of God is, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and then he goes to sleep and rises by day and then the crops come up. You can't see the seed working in the ground. And then the last one is the mustard seed. 
You're very familiar with that one in verses 30 through through 32. In each of those parables that he explains to his disciples is about sowing, is about growth, and is about harvest, and it all teaches how the gospel works. The gospel takes root in good soil, not all soil. It advances far beyond our sight. It grows even while the farmer sleeps, and, and it should not be underestimated. It will look very, very small. It will be so small, it will be like a mustard seed, but will grow into something astronomical. So he's telling them, yeah, you have a little flock right now. The gospel is being sown, and what's going to come up is going to blow your mind, guys. You, you can't gather it. They could not foresee a group of people being gathered 2,000-plus years later at Timberlake Baptist Church because of what Jesus is saying right here in Galilee and what they will take from Pentecost on. But Jesus could. It's a very important parable. It's a very important parable for all of those all of those reasons. It's a very important parable for the disciples and, and for us. I mean, evangelism is why we exist. I mean, this is the great commission. It's the great command. We're to go into all the world. We're to, we're to preach the gospel. That's our commission. Everything else is important, but everything else is secondary to that. So it's important for us to understand how people would respond to the gospel whenever we take that gospel to the uttermost parts of the, of the earth. So we don't become discouraged or frustrated or worse, like some churches do, try to tamper with the, the seed. There is a trend, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because it's such a, such a powerful word, but you understand the trend in, in the American church today is the reason for such poor results is the church's fault. It's my fault because I wear a suit. It's my fault because I don't have hip jeans or an earring or something else. I'm not culturally savvy enough. I don't know how to meet the felt needs. You don't know. You're out of touch with millennials or whatever other thing that, 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 that you hear. In other words, in the language of the, of the parable, the problem is with us, the sower, or the problems with the seed. You, 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 You've got too strong of a, of a message. You shouldn't preach about sin. You should call it um, mistake or error. You shouldn't talk about hell. You should only talk about heaven because people's lives are difficult enough. And so they don't want to hear a negative message whenever they, whenever they come to, to church. As one writer put it, we're so bent on the style of the sower and creating some kind of synthetic acceptable seed that we've mutated the gospel into such a corrupted form that it is that it no longer has the power to save because it isn't the true gospel. Hmm. And how ridiculous when you think about it. The seed is perfect. It's the word of the living God. And if you do anything to alter it, you've corrupted it. Jesus doesn't have a genetically modified gospel. In any sower with any wardrobe, in any seed bag will do, as long as he or she is sowing the gospel. Why? Well, the answer is in the parable, because Jesus is telling us here, the issue is not the sower, it's not the seed, it's the soil. The issue is the heart. That's the issue. And so when you cast the seed, and you should cast the seed, you must cast the seed, and you must cast the seed of the gospel, the entire gospel, the whole gospel, when it falls... It's going to fall on all different types of soil. 
and it may seem unsuccessful. You may seem like a very poor farmer because it's going to fall on three types of soil that doesn't bear any fruit whatsoever. But the soil that is good, where it falls, is going to bear much fruit. Well, let's look at the outline, and we're covering the the last two points. Here is our outline. We looked at the bad soils and the good soil. And today we're going to cover the purpose of parables, plural. It specifically says not just this parable, but parables. And then it's the explanation of this parable in verses 13 through, through 20. The parable itself, Jesus says to the disciples, they need to be confident sowers and preach on. The harvest will come. And then in verses 10 through 12, you have this little explanation that Jesus gives when he pulls the disciples aside about parables in general. It's kind of the bridge. And then he explains what the parable of the, of the, of the soils mean. Let's look at the verses 10 through 11, what he says here about the, the purpose of, of parables. Let's read it again. He said, but when he was alone... Those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable, the story that he just told. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And when you read that, when you hear that, it just seems odd, especially that last statement, because it's like, wait a minute, isn't that why Jesus came? In order for their sins to be forgiven? In order for them to hear? It is. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. So what's he talking about here? Well, Jesus is describing the purpose of parables to the group that has received his word, and the purpose of parables to the group that had rejected his word. He explains the reason that he spoke in parables to the crowds. And he explained it to his disciples that it was for greater grace and greater judgment. He's going to reveal more to the believing. And he's going to obscure more to the unbelieving. It was God's grace to them that they got to understand Verse 10, when he was alone with those around him and the twelve, they asked him about the parable and he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. It's greater grace to them. They were already Jesus' followers, already sitting at his feet. And they got greater grace because they were, they don't, they don't twist that like greater grace that God doesn't give grace to everybody. It's, it's these disciples had greater grace. What is that greater grace? That they got to hear the word of God and they got it explained to them. You have great grace this morning as a believer. You're gathered here with an open Bible. You're hearing the word of God preached. That's God's grace to you. There are people all over this world that aren't in church that don't have somebody proclaiming the word of God to them. And that's sad. And it was a judgment to those who rejected 
Look at what he says here in verse 11. But, here's the contrast to those who are outside, all things come in parables. To them the message was veiled because of their unbelief. He starts with a promise here that he'll reveal more to his disciples, to the, to the believing. He gives the setting in verse 10, he was alone. There's more than the twelve around him. It was a small group that had believed. They were the good soil who were continuing and bearing fruit. And here they are being plowed and and watered. They're sitting at Jesus' feet. And he says to you, that's his followers, it's been given to understand the mystery of the kingdom. And he he just defines two groups here. Now, it's not four types of soils. It's the two, two groups. It's the bad soil and it's the good soil. And he speaks to those who are inside first, to you. Those who received his teaching would get more revelation about the kingdom. Now, the word mystery is a key, obviously, the mystery of the, of the kingdom of God. And any time the Bible uses the word mystery, in the New Testament, it's something that was previously hidden or wasn't as clear or, or wasn't obscured. It's, it's something that, that God's going to unfold later. I mean, you might think about like how the law was the shadow of Christ. If you were before Christ and you read the law, you could see this echo of Jesus. If you heard the prophets, they would foretell about the Messiah coming, but you wouldn't see Christ in all of his clarity. Now, after he came, Jesus revealed who he was, and he revealed the Father, and he made all things plain. And to his disciples, he's saying, the mystery of the kingdom, everything that has been foretold, you got as an Israelite, but now you're going to get more, you're going to understand more. You would see the, before Christ, you would see the prophets pointed to the Messiah, and if you looked closely, but you didn't know who he was or in what detail. But when Jesus came, he revealed everything clearly. And when Jesus came, he revealed what was unrevealed before. It became clear what God meant to Abraham when he said, your faith is credited unto you for righteousness. And when God walked between the cut pieces of the Abrahamic covenant, it became clear what God meant to Moses whenever he had Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness. It became clear what God was doing with the Passover lamb and applying the blood to the entry door of the homes. It became clear what Isaiah 53 foretold, it, the pattern of sacrifice and offering for sin in Leviticus that was to be fulfilled once for all by the Lamb of God who would take away sin became clear with Christ. And Jesus is saying now that mystery, which was foreshadowed, has been revealed to you and will continue to be revealed to you. And it will become clearer and clearer and clearer. The disciples didn't get it all at once, did they? I mean, these knotheads are all the way up to the time when Jesus is getting ready to ascend, saying, is now the time for the kingdom? Is it coming right now? And what's Jesus say? It's not for you to worry about the times or the seasons. What are you to do? Be my witnesses. Go out and cast seed. And when you cast seed, it's going to fall on all different types of soils. But the good soil is going to bear great fruit. Some 30, some 60, some some 100. They were the ones... With good ground, the disciples here are the ones who had ears. But look at what it says to the other side. I think this is the scary part. Especially if you're here this morning and you've rejected Christ over and over and over. Because that's the group that Jesus is speaking to. 
but, in verse 11, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. He gives the, tells the result of that. So you're going to see the story. It's about agriculture, but you're not going to perceive the spiritual truths. You're going to hear a man telling a story, but you're not going to understand. Because if you would, then you would turn. And your sins would, would be forgiven. The contrast is the other side of the coin. It's the, it's the rest of the group. Those outside, this is not outside the house. Kinds of people outside the house. He's, he's saying outside embracing Christ. These are those outside of the kingdom right now. Those who had rejected would get less. Now, here's where the context matters. What's happened in chapter 3? Great crowds are gathering, and they've rejected Jesus over and over. He's preached the gospel all around Galilee, and they've rejected who Jesus is. They've only come for the bread. They've only come for the healings. His family said that he was nuts. The religious leaders, the the highfalutin ones, have been brought up from Jerusalem to declare that Jesus was of the devil, and everything that he did was of the devil. This is a watershed-turning moment in the ministry of Jesus. Before, he's been preaching the gospel openly, and now he's only going to share it in, in parables. And he did that because they had hardened their hearts. So they'll get less, not more. This is a judgment. I mean, there's no way to say it anything, any other way. This is a judgment. Matthew 13 34, when you get to this passage about this specific parable, Jesus, it says, all things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, he did not speak to them without a parable. As I said up to this point, Jesus has been preaching the gospel openly, and now he'll not teach anything except in parables. This is a shift. He didn't do that before. He spoke the gospel clearly to them. He revealed the gospel. He called them to repentance, belief in him as the Messiah. And they rejected him over and over, and their rejection reached a point. And now the message would be veiled in some way. They said they'll get all the stories, but they won't get the spiritual meaning because they won't understand. It's like what happened with Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his own heart, so then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Scary. They hardened their own heart, and so Jesus deals with them differently. Now, you've heard me preach many, many times before that no one is beyond the grace of God, and that any sin that you've ever committed can be forgiven. But this is one of those passages that's really, really terrifying. It says that you can get to the point where you've hardened your own heart, where God gives you over to your own devices. And the gospel is being proclaimed and people are witnessing to you and they are, they are pleading with you to come to Christ and God is pleading with you to, to, to embrace His Son and the gospel is plain and your heart is so hard that it bounces off of it. And now they're on the outside, and Isaiah foretold of this moment for Israel. That's what verse 12 is. This is Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. It's a heavy verse. Israel, even this day, is, is blinded. 
because of their rejection. doesn't mean they can't ultimately be saved, and God does have a plan for Israel. This is, this is also world-rocking for many definitions I've heard of parables. I've heard many people say that Jesus gave parables to make his teaching plain and simple. It's kind of described as a teaching method. You shouldn't do what we're doing this morning. Don't explain the, the truths of Scripture in such depth because that's not what Jesus did. He told stories and parables and illustrations so, so it would be plain and simple for everybody to, to understand. That's exactly the opposite of what Jesus says here he uses these parables for. He says he spoke in parables and then explained it to those inside. You have the parables and then they're explained to you by the Holy Spirit, by the preaching of the Word, by your Sunday school teacher, whoever, that's grace. Those parables to those who are outside were judgment, Jesus said. Not an evangelistic method. What ups the ante even more is what Jesus says in verse 13. Look at verse 13. He said to them, that's the disciples, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? He says, this is the single most pivotal teaching on all parables. And about salvation and growth of the kingdom. He said, if you don't get this, you're going to mess the rest of them up. And I think exactly what Jesus says, if we confuse the parable of the soils, then we're going to, we're going to miss the point. The problem is, is not the seed. The problem is not the sower. The problem is the soil. And the message of the kingdom of God is so countercultural, so different from normal human thinking, that it takes nothing less than divine revelation to grasp it. It's the kingdom of God. It's not the kingdom of Brian. And even the disciples still needed help, didn't they? I mean, they were the disciples. The disciples struggled constantly to grasp what Jesus was doing. I mean, you could give a number of examples. They're walking along. And they want to call fire down out of heaven. And Jesus says, what are you doing? I came to save these people, not to burn them up. You remember they, when Jesus is talking about how he's the bread of life? They, they're starting to wonder, did, is he saying we didn't bring bread? Did you bring bread? I didn't bring bread. And when Jesus begins to talk about how he has to go to the cross and die to fulfill his ministry, Peter rebukes him. And you remember what Jesus says to Peter? You're thinking like the devil. Worldly, demonic, base-level thinking. But when he confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, what's Jesus say to Peter? Flesh and blood didn't reveal that unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. You need the Word of God, you need the Spirit of God to help us understand, or you're going to get really off track. We all are. And in the blessing is if you're a believer, you have both. You have the Word, you have a hunger and a desire for the Word, and you have the Spirit and you have a church where, where you can grow. But if you don't, the grace of God can reach you. But it's a, it's a judgment. You ever heard people say, I, I, can, I can have a relationship with God, but I don't need that church thing. I mean, I can have a relationship with God out in the woods, but I don't need to read the Bible. I mean, it's just me and God, the Creator. That's foolish. It's a judgment that you're not in church. 
It's a judgment that you don't have the Word. It's a horrible thing that you can't understand the Scriptures. It's a horrible thing that you wouldn't desire to understand the Scriptures. And when that happens to me, and it can, or you, and it can, you cry out to God, help me, Lord. I want to know you. The reason I'm saved is to know you. It's an evidence that I'm in the kingdom, that I want to understand your Word, and that I desire to understand it, and that you explain it to me, whether that's through a pulpit or through the Holy Spirit or through whatever. And if you don't have any of that, I think Jesus is saying to you here, you should be very, very afraid. Because the more you reject, the less you will grasp. How does a path get hard? It's walked on over and over and over and over. How does the gospel, how does the word, how does your relationship with Christ get so distant and so cold? You trample on your heart. And the seed of the Word is sown. The the glory of Christ is sown. The pleading of Christ is sown over and over and over. And you just trample on that and trample on that and trample on that. And you you track your heart with with the footpaths of sin. And it gets so hard and so hard to where you set under the gospel and and the spiritual meat of the Word and, and it doesn't affect you at all. And you cry out, God, break up the fallowed ground. Break my heart is, is, the right, is the right prayer. But the problem is when you're in that state, you don't even want that. You know you should have it, but you don't have any desire inside for that. And God has to intervene in some ways. In some ways he does that through consequences. In some ways he does that through other people. But that's the problem. And Jesus gives them this interpretation of the parable to help them understand how they come into the kingdom, what will happen when they sow, and really a warning to guard their their own hearts. Verse 13 through 20, he gives the explanation of the parable. We kind of covered a lot of this the, the last time we we preached it, but... But he really applies it here to the disciples. I mean, he gives this general parable to everybody, and then he explains it to the disciples. And he's explaining it to the disciples so they'll understand how the kingdom is going to grow, how evangelism is going to take place. But he also wants to warn them. And he explains. The the devil steals the word, difficulties topple the word, and distractions choke the word. Easy to remember. In verse 14, he says, the sower sows the word. There's no way that you can mess this parable up, even though you you hear all kinds of of interpretations of parables. I mean, Jesus interprets it right here. The sower sows the word. These are the ones by the wayside. That's the footpath, the hard ground, where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So the sower is is ultimately God, Jeremiah thirty one twenty seven. But God uses us; we're the means. And Jesus says here, the seed is the word of God. And so God is sowing His own words through us. Any time we preach or teach or witness or write or share, that's the seed, the word. 
explains what happens in these bad soils. The, the devil steals, the difficulties topple, and the distractions choke. And he starts with, with the devil steals. Now, did, did you ever think about this question? I mean, he specifically says Satan comes and immediately takes away the word. Don't you think Satan is trying to steal all of the seed? Not just this one? So why is he, why is he so successful here? Because the seed lays on top of a hard-packed footpath and it's easily devoured. The seed lands on top of hard hearts. It doesn't sink in at all. It's a heart of unbelief, a heart of doubt, a heart filled with humanistic teaching. That's how the devil keeps the word from doing his work. I don't think Jesus is saying here that every time somebody preaches that the devil as a person creeps around... And he somehow whispers in your ear like a vacuum cleaner, sucks the word out that you just heard. It's a, it's a figure. It's, a, it's, it's an illustration. He doesn't need to do that. He's already done his work in the soil. The word is sown, but it's taken away before it can germinate. Isn't that the point here? It's dismissed by worldly thinking. How does Satan steal the word? It's dismissed by demonic schemes that you're already believing. A hard heart's already believing. How does a heart get hard? It believes lies and doesn't believe the truth. Oh, that can't be true because the earth wasn't created, it evolved. Dismiss Genesis 1. Oh, that can't be true. I was born this way, so dismiss Romans 1. Oh, that can't be true because God's a God of love. He would never bring judgment on anybody. That's how Satan steals the word. Those, those, those parasites are already in the heart. That's hard. Let me apply this for you. When Jesus says here to the disciples, be on guard against an unplowed heart. Be on guard against believing Lies. What lies are you believing? What promises are you failing to, to, to lay hold of? You need to continually allow God to keep your heart tender. Yield to His plow. Don't run from it. Because that's where it starts. And the seed falls on that, that ground. Look at what he says in verse 16. Difficulties topple the word. Likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. When they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves. So they endure only for a time. And afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they, they stumble. Now, there's some key words here. They only made a temporary change, not a permanent change. The afflictions that he's talking about is not normal pressures from the world. It's pressure, persecution associated with the gospel itself. It's, it's associated with embracing the word. That's what it says here. It's for the word's sake. It arises for the word's sake. And fall away means to cause an offense. It causes an offense in the person. It's where we get our English word to, to scandalize. It scandalizes them. It's a superficial decider. When the rubber meets the road... About what a, they learn the teaching about what a genuine disciple 
is required, what's required of them. They're, they're offended, they stumble, and they fall away. It's the person who embraces God love, God's love but not his holiness. It's the person who embraces the benefits of Jesus. But when they get to the hard parts, they say, I didn't sign up for this. It's the person, when they have to choose between trusting, obeying, and embracing what God says, when it's really hard, they're offended by that, and they leave. It's very plain. Be on guard against a heart with no depth and lacking maturity. You ever heard the, the statement, a mile wide and an inch deep? Of course you have. What happens when you build a large platform on too small a foundation? What happens whenever a plant shoots up? It's really big, but it has very, very small roots. You ever planted corn? We used to hill our corn. You know what hilling corn means? Yeah. Why do you do that? Because when the spring storms come, it blows over. Right. You ever played Jenga? Topples. Be on guard against a heart with no depth. If you've been in the faith for 20 years and you're still on the milk and you don't have any desire for anything beyond that, if you've been saved for 20 years and you love to study the Bible but you're not putting any of it in practice, problem lastly distractions choke the word verse 18 these are the ones sown among the thorns they are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches oh riches are so deceitful they cause you to trust and think that all of your problems are taken care of emperor's new clothes And the desire for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Nothing wrong with the word. It just can bear fruit in your heart. Seed is sown among the thorns and he describes what those thorns are. Be on guard against a heart with worldly nettles and earthly pursuits attached to it. Worries of this world are literally the distractions of this age. There's all kinds of distractions in this age, aren't there? This is a person who has preoccupation with earthly things that blinds them from any serious consideration of the gospel and what discipleship means. They have money and goods laid up, so they feel no need of God even when confronted by him they get fulfillment from building houses and businesses and careers on earth and they have no sense of need for working for eternity they have all their desires met here and so they have no hunger for god do you remember how jesus starts the sermon on the mount right i mean the sermon on the mount here's kingdom teaching it's an evangelistic sermon starts out with an introduction, which are the, the Beatitudes. It talks about the law, how nobody can keep the law. You have heard, but I say unto you, it's not just outward, it's inward. It's not just the practices. You want to you fast, you want to tithe before everybody. You need to worry about what the Father sees, not what everybody else sees. And he ends with the invitation. There's two paths, there's two gates, two places to build your house. Do you remember how he... How he starts, what's, what's, what's the introduction in the Sermon on the Mount? 
It's the sermon that Jesus went around Galilee preaching. It wasn't just preached that one time. That's what he's preaching when he's preaching the gospel and the kingdom of God. Blessed or fortunate is, is the man or the person who's poor in spirit, who mourns, who's meek, who's hung, who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. He's describing the good soil. He's describing the heart that's prepared to receive the kingdom. The heart that, that is poor in spirit, not strong in, in self-sufficiency. The heart that mourns over their sin and realizes that they are sinners. A heart that is meek, that understands that all their power comes from God. It doesn't come from, from their own abilities. It's the heart that hungers and thirsts, not after the things of the world, but after God's righteousness. Because if you seek first His righteousness, what will happen? All these other things will be added unto you, Larry Brody. That's your verse. Fat hearts, full hearts, satisfied hearts are hearts that choke out God. And that's why God makes your heart lean. That's why God empties your heart with the circumstances and allows depressions and difficulties to come. That's why you, you can pursue something and feel like if I just get this, then I'll be happy. And when you get there, you're not happy. That's God's grace to you and to me. Because if you were satisfied with that little trinket, or as C.S. Lewis said, that mud pie of the world, you would have no hunger for the true and living God. It's grace. You may have all of your needs met, and miss the real need that you have, which is Jesus Christ. But there's good soil. Look at verse 20. But there are the ones sown on good ground. Those that hear the word, accept it, they receive it, and they bear fruit. And that fruit is, is, is supernatural. It's not by human. Uh, it's not just what humans can do. It's what God does. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Hear the Word. Accept the Word. Bear the fruit of the Word. Brothers and sisters, there is so much opportunity in this world to spread the gospel. And there's also so much opposition in this world against the gospel. And some of that opposition resides in my own heart and in your own heart. And unless you tend to your heart, all the seed in the world can be sown. And it won't take any root. Or if it does, it won't bear any fruit. Let's pray.